0: and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com MCAT. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med. And we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know to help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. As always, I am joined by Clara from Next Step Test Prep, and we are diving into the last section of the MCAT here on Next Step Test Prep Full Length 10, Psych Soch Passage 1. All right, Clara, last week we talked all about PsychSoch and what students should be doing to prepare for it and how to manage their time and be successful with it. Now we're ready to dive in to the first passage here in PsychSoch from Next Step Test Prep full length 10. So let's go ahead and have you read passage one, but let's let's first start off. We mentioned last week that the passages may be a little bit easier There's not going to be as many tables and stuff to kind of analyze with passages. With psych when somebody, when a student comes to their passages here, what should they be thinking about as they're reading it and taking notes on as they're reading it? Because it it seems so much less, I would assume, so much less technical than all the other sections.
1: Definitely. It definitely is. You aren't going to see as many acronyms and protein and enzyme names um, and, and really, Academic journal type details in a psych social passage, but in terms of what you should pay attention to and highlight or take notes on, almost all psych passages follow this sort of formula where they they usually do involve an experiment, and that's usually toward the end of the passage. But they usually also have a paragraph or maybe two paragraphs of uh, more informational content, where it might you know maybe it'll mention something like prejudice in those paragraphs, maybe it'll mention. Oh, you know, some some other concept to you that's that's familiar from your studying, like identity or memory or something like that. And those concepts that they mentioned early on in the passage are great places where they could ask pseudo-discrete questions about them. So I always recommend highlighting those because like, oh, prejudice came up that could easily ask a question and it sort of gets you thinking about prejudice. And then in the second part where it mentions the experiment or experiments, that's where you want to just pay really close attention to how the experiment was designed. Whether they mention anything that could be a potential flaw, like um, they mentioned a control group and the control group sounds really small or something like that.
0: All right. So let's go ahead and dive in here to passage one.
1: All right. Passage one. Family psychologists have employed communication theory to examine the metacommunication within families. Communication between two individuals has two levels of communication, the stated content and metacommunication. Stated content is the manifestation of the message what can be concretely observed in the speaker's communication. Metacommunication is the aspect of the message that is latent. For example, my husband is always watching TV, carried the stated content that the spouse believes their husband watches too much TV. The meta communication may be that their husband does not make enough time for them. A type of communication that has been linked with the development of pathology is a double bind. In a double bind, two messages are related but conflicting on different levels. The conflicting messages in a double bind prohibit escape and leave the recipient of the message with no satisfactory outcome. An example of a double bind is a mother who encourages a child to display affection, but when the child does so, she rejects the child as being too demonstrative. When the child withdraws, the mother then says, don't you love me anymore? The child is unable to resolve the situation and feels frustrated and helpless. After frequent exposure to these patterns, the recipient of the double bind comes to perceive his environment as containing double binds exclusively. Then, the initiation of any part of the double bind pattern, for example, a person displaying affection towards the child above, likely invokes rage within the recipient of the double bind. To assess the relationship between dysfunctional communication and schizophrenia, Researchers evaluated the number of double-bind statements in one day in families with a child with schizophrenia and families without a child with schizophrenia. The figure, and and I'll describe the figure, presents the average number of double-bind statements per family type. And then the figure, we included it in here because it is very, very simple. Basically, it has the number of double-bind statements on the y-axis, and then on the x-axis, it shows a child with schizophrenia versus a child without And we can see that there are many, many more double bind statements, about six times as many in the family with a child with schizophrenia. And the caption is average number of double bind statements in families.
0: Wow. Interesting. (laughs) Okay. Oh, yeah. So its is this a very typical kind of passage? Because it seems like the first paragraph didn't necessarily correlate to the second or third one the second and third one were obviously related talking about double binds but the first one seemed like it was just a completely separate thought
1: well it's interesting i mean it this is pretty representative so most passages are are similar to this in a lot of ways so in terms of being informational in the first part being more experiment based in the second part and this sort of pattern that you pointed out can also happen where the, the very beginning is very broad. So the very beginning is talking about communication mentions this metacommunication, and then it dives much deeper into this one specific type of really meta communication. And so it comes out as looking like, Oh, the main focus of the paragraph or of the passage is this experiment. And the first paragraph was sort of this unrelated intro, but the, Basically, questions could come from any part of this passage.
0: Okay. So, we'll see. All right. Well, question one. According to the results of the study, which is the the figure one, how do double-blinds influence the development of schizophrenia? A, double-blinds lead to a higher occurrence of schizophrenia. B, double-blinds lead to a lower occurrence of schizophrenia. C, schizophrenia leads to a higher occurrence of double binds, or D, it is not possible to determine the influence of double binds on the development of schizophrenia. And so this is a a very easy trap that I think humans in general fall into because we're lazy and you're like, oh, look, a chart, correlation must equal causation. And so (laughs) children with schizophrenia or households that have a child with schizophrenia have a much higher rate of double binds. And so, oh, look, it must cause higher occurrence of schizophrenia, but we don't know that. We don't know what's causing it. So it would be D.
1: 100%. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is um, this is one a lot of students miss and a lot of students pick either A, A, or C, but where double binds either lead to higher occurrence of schizophrenia or schizophrenia leads to a higher occurrence of double binds. But we have no idea which of those is true if either because of exactly what you said.
0: Yeah. And that's just I, I think a a reading comprehension thing, it's something that is obviously very important on the MCAT, and not reading into the passage too much and what is being told. If it doesn't specifically say the research found that schizophrenia led to a higher occurrence of double blinds, you don't know that and you can't infer that at all. Absolutely. Okay. All right, question two. Go Great. Ahead.
1: Question two. From what theoretical orientations are the concepts of double-bind communication and displacement, respectively, derived? A, systems theory and psychodynamic theory, B, cognitive behavioral theory and systems theory, C, humanistic theory and psychodynamic theory, or D, systems theory and neurobehavioral
0: theory? All right. So we're immediately into definitions. So you have to know theoretical orientations and what all those mean and looking through these answers <laughs> trying to figure out if if any one of these is a theoretical orientation relating to double bind and displacement respectively so it's interesting so i like that it's respective so i can i'm going to attack double bl- double i keep wanting to say double blind <laughs> double bind communication so it's either systems cognitive behavioral or humanistic or systems systems again so systems cognitive behavioral or humanistic so I have a one in three chance of at least getting the first part right, and co- double bind to me, I would think it's cognitive behavioral. So I would go with B, but without knowing definitions, that's a hard one.
1: It is a hard one. So this is actually this is actually a really hard question because the the theoretical orientations. Um, so these are sort of uh, psychological psychology perspectives, essentially, or sociological perspectives. And the way I would actually approach this one is I would actually start with displacement, which is the second of the two things mentioned, because double bind communication, that was something that was just now introduced in the passage. So we might have to go back to the passage and try to figure out where this originated. We don't know anything about it. Whereas displacement, if I'm correct, was never mentioned in the passage at all. And so it must be something we need to know from our science knowledge. And actually displacement, which if we don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't help us, but displacement is a Freudian concept. So it's one of Freud's ego defense mechanisms where essentially if we displace an emotion, it's like we have this emotion that we don't think we can express because we, it comes from some, you know, place that we think is morally wrong or something. Like we have this aggressive emotion, for example, and we displace it into something more socially acceptable. Like I'm really aggressive, so I'm going to displace it into being good at football. So, long story short, that's Freudian, and whenever you see Freud, you always want to think psychodynamic theory. Yeah.
0: As soon as you said Freud, I'm like, oh, it was C, psychodynamic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember that somehow. Okay. Well, um, there's
1: actually two two psychodynamics. Oh, yeah, there are. I yeah, I, um, I see that now. Yeah, okay. and it's, it's actually A, it's systems it theory okay. and a psychodynamic theory.
0: Okay. So, systems theory for double bind and psychodynamic for displacement. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you can get to that point. i almost... Most easily by process of elimination, because the other option C had humanistic theory as the first option. And humanistic theory is very closely related to like self actualization, like realizing your full potential. And that has nothing to do with this passage.
0: Okay. And then neurobehavioral?
1: Neurobehavioral would be really closely related to basically our, our underlying neurology, essentially, and then how that impacts behavior. So it's a little, a little bit, seems a little bit broad and, and nebulous, but. Okay it Freud sort of stands in a category of itself, which is how they made this question a little bit easier because all of the perspectives kind of overlap. Mm-hmm. Like, Of course, everything's related to behavior. Yeah. But as soon as we see this Freudian, we, we are safe.
0: Okay. Question three, what is an example of metacommunication by a teacher that might lead to a double bind when paired with the statement, you students should participate in class more? A, making the statement with happy affect, B, providing consequences for not answering questions, C, getting angry when students ask questions, or D, the teacher feeling frustration and scolding students. An example of metacommunication by a teacher that might lead to a double bind when paired with a statement. So a double bind, again, is the students participating more in class, but then potentially getting in trouble for participating more in class, I think is, is how I would kind of think about that. Is that, do I have the thinking right? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So, and again, just going back to MCAT 101, we talk a lot all the time about just make sure you understand the question first. And so rephrasing the question is, is what would, what would a student, what could lead to a student thinking or getting in trouble for participating more in class, even though the teacher said participate in class. (laughs) Making the statement with a, a happy affect doesn't make sense. Providing consequences for not answering questions doesn't make sense. C, getting angry when students ask questions, and now that makes sense. And then the teacher feeling frustration and scolding students outside of the actual why she's getting angry doesn't make sense for the double bind. So I'd go with C here.
1: Perfect. Yeah. Okay. That's an easier one. Uh, see, yeah, you, and you did hey, Don't take it right.
0: away from me. I got it right. Don't don't tell me at all. No. That's an easy well, one. It's
1: really tough. Good job. <laughs> thank, you, thank you. But no, that was that was the perfect reasoning there with this idea that a uh, double bind is where the student feels very conflicted because they're being told to do one thing, being punished, and having a negative result for, uh, as a result from doing it, and see getting angry when they actually ask the questions. It's perfect.
0: Okay. Great. All right. Four. Awesome.
1: Number four, how might the results of the study relate with the stress diathesis model to explain schizophrenia? A, sub-threshold schizophrenic traits elicit inefficient communication in families. B, stress in families builds until it is released in double-bind communication. C, an underlying biological propensity for schizophrenia is activated by conflictual communication. Or D, given enough inefficient communication anyone can develop schizophrenia.
0: (laughs) (laughs) D is definitely not true because I think every married couple would have schizophrenia. (laughs) All right. So it's interesting. I have no idea what stress diathesis model means, but just trying to think about it logically, and obviously that's not how I want to approach these. I want to know what these mean. The C to me sounds like it's just It just sounds right that there's this potential underlying biological propensity for schizophrenia that's activated with this conflictual communication. It's almost like stress uh, we know potentially activates a lot of autoimmune stuff. And so I I would go with C just because it sounds right and the other ones don't necessarily sound right.
1: Well, that worked. (laughs) All right. The words for that one. And that's and that's great, right? Like sometimes you are gonna see these terms where you don't know what they mean and there's not much you can do about it then. So you have to go with what what seems like it is in line with what what they're saying. And and in fact, the stress diathesis model is almost exactly what they're saying in C. And basically that model says that in some people, you know, not everybody, but in some people, they have this underlying biological propensity towards developing a condition. So maybe, you know, certain people have genetic propensities toward developing schizophrenia, but they don't necessarily develop it unless those propensities are sort of activated by environmental triggers. So C, where we have this underlying biological propensity for schizophrenia is activated by this environmental thing of um, conflictual communication is
0: perfect. It's like we have Easter eggs hiding in our body, and and <laughs> we, we just go through life until we find an Easter egg, and then oh look, I have schizophrenia.
1: Yes, bad kind <laughs> of Easter egg, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or not not ideal, but yeah. certainly true. And and who knows how how many of us have these propensities and never never get them activated.
0: All right, so there you have it. Passage one under our belt. Hopefully, this was uh, helpful for you diving into some psychos trying to understand some of these passages, what they look like, trying to understand the questions, what you might see on the psych social section. So hopefully you'll get a lot out of this. If you're looking for some more in-depth help with the MCAT and you are thinking about using a tutor, go to Next Step Test Prep and sign up for a consultation call with one of their consultants and they'll try to figure out what you need. They won't try to sell you on anything. They'll try to listen to you, figure out what you need, and try to figure out what will work best for you. And you can save $50 off tutoring by using the promo code MCATPOD, that's all capital letters, M-C-A-T-P-O-D, and signing up for that tutoring and saving some money. The one-on-one tutoring will will help you create a personalized, one-off way for you to maximize your score. You're going to work one-on-one with that tutor over the internet or potentially in person if they have someone local to you, someone who's going to be there to keep you accountable as you go through this journey with the MCAT. If you, are again, are looking for some information, go to nextsteptestprep.com and sign up on the forum to have a consultation call with them. Again, nextsteptestprep.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. Thank you